I want to share with you, we have already been talking about being at peace with God and finding peace with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to, I'm going to be talking with you today something about uh, having peace with others, and I will be honest right up front that uh, I am speaking from Scripture, not always from personal experience. Amen? <laughs> Y'all don't ever do that, right? You don't ever talk about things that you should do, but you actually don't do yourself. That does not mean I am regularly not at peace with other people, but uh, I will say that what I want to talk to you today about is something that for none of us is instinctive. Uh, And so I hope that you'll listen. I hope that you will be challenged to go do some studying and and struggle through this concept yourself, because at the end of the day, that's what I'm going to ask you to do. When we start talking about being at peace with others, the reality is is there's a lot of people that we are not at peace with, right? We read in Scripture the announcement of the coming of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. This is what it says, and at times I read this and I think we totally misunderstand this because it is not coming to pass as the angels told us that it would. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So where we've been so far... Our first week of Prince of Peace, we talked about the fact that we can have peace with God through Christ. That is a crucial foundational understanding of what peace is. Peace not being the absence of conflict, but the perfection of our faith and our lives, which as we understand that through scripture means wholeness, fullness, fulfilled Perfection does not mean without error. It means it is whole. We are whole. It is the concept of shalom. Peace be with you. Be well. So when we understand peace in that regard, peace is not so much that we don't have any conflict in our lives because all of you are going to have conflict in your lives. It's not that we don't have conflict. It's that we can be whole, full, at peace in spite of the conflict. Second week, we talked about the reality that we have peace through the Holy Spirit. It's not something that you're just going to force. It's not something you can just make happen. When things are going wrong, you can't just say, you know, Mark, be at peace. You know, I I don't know if you ever do that. There are times I just kind of speak out loud to myself. I know that makes me weird, and I try to do it when no one else is around. But you probably do it too, and if you don't, I would try it because it's very therapeutic. But I will just... Sometimes tell myself, you need to settle down. You need to be at peace. But that doesn't always work, does it? We can't just, as a will of our spirit, choose that we are not going to have anxiety or we're not going to panic or we're not going to have fear. We're not going to be angry. When someone hurts us, we're not going to want to strike back. We can't just make that an act of the will. But in reality, this is part of the fruit of the spirit, peace. But that leads us to what we're going to talk about today. How do we have peace with each other? And the reality is, is it's at times we don't have peace with other people, right? I'm sure we could go around the room and if we were all honest and I just said, hey, would you name some people you're not at peace with? We probably could all come up with some names. We're not going to do that. We could probably all come up with some names. And some of those people may be in this room, right? Some of them may be in the car on the way home, <laughs> Right? We're not always at peace with people. And the reality is, if we're going to understand, especially this announcement, that glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. What does it mean to be at peace with those whom he is pleased? You would think that it would mean that we are at peace with other believers, but that is so far from the truth, isn't it? We're at peace with some believers, but we are not at peace with other believers. Some people we look at and we're not even sure they are believers, even though they claim to be believers, right? And we're not at peace with them. We look at churches and even within our own city, we have churches that do not like each other. And when they talk about each other, they talk about each other so negatively, you think, 
Is this what Jesus was bringing us? When the world looks at us, they look at us and they say, those people, they are at peace. For some of us, we struggle through life with all kinds of anxiety and all kinds of struggles and at times all kinds of fears and sometimes all kinds of conflicts. But when we look at what Jesus said about us, his followers, what we would be like, what our lives would be like, he said that people will recognize us for our love for one another. Doesn't that have some role to play in peace with other people? John 13, 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. But are we honestly, if we are serious and we were to go around the people that know us best, would they say, you know what I know about them? I don't know a lot, but what I know about them is that they love other people. Is that said about us? Would that be said about me? There are some people that would say that about me. I fake them out better than others, right? Now, that wasn't nice. You didn't have to say that. You have to agree with me. Agree with me on the good stuff, not the bad stuff. But do people say that about us? Man, you know what I know about him? You know what I know about her? They love well. Now, I know people who love well. They exude love. They just encourage, and they have compassion, and they come alongside of you, and you know you've messed up, but you wouldn't know that they know that, even though they do, because they have just chosen to love you. Those are some of the best relationships you have, and those are some of the relationships, and and one of the things we, before starting Journey, were most looking forward to was having an opportunity to have a church family in which we didn't have to have pretense, but we could just love each other despite who we were, where we came from, or what hangups we have. Now, we're not always, we, we, we don't have a 100% track record on that, but I would say we are more successful than we are less. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we can be ourselves, and I'm thankful that we can come into a place and we can demonstrate love even when we have disagreements. But In all reality and in all truth, as we read through this, we have to ask ourselves also, not only are we known for our love, but do we feel at peace with others? That is a crucial question that I want to ask you, and I want you to struggle with, and you have to struggle with this. When we read through all of Scripture, it talks about our role in the world as peacemakers. What does it look like to be a peacemaker? Now, some of you have come from homes, and the very word peacemaker has a negative connotation to it. If you're the peacemaker in the family, you are looked at as you need to toughen up, right? Anybody? If you're the person that walks in and tries to remove conflict, there's something wrong. You should allow the conflict to happen. You should find better, healthier ways of dealing with conflict, and yet we still read in Scripture that we are supposed to be peacemakers. So how do we understand that in the context of the world we live in? Because we are at odds with other people. We're at odds with people in our homes. We're at odds with people at work. We're at odds with people at church. We're at odds with our neighbors. We are at odds with people that we have to do life with regularly. We have conflict with other people. It's, it's not hard to see. We look at our kids who are in school dealing, dealing with bullying or, or dealing with kids that are you know, constantly giving them a hard time. We think, how, is you, or how do we teach our children to have peace in the midst of others that want to take that away? And this concept of being a peacemaker is something that we will struggle with for our entire lives, but it is one of the marks of being a follower of Jesus, so we have to struggle with it. The reality is, is if we do approach this topic of being a peacemaker as if this is just going to be a lot of hard work and I'm going to do the best I can because I'm supposed to, then even that feels like something's wrong there. Because if we're forcing ourselves to be at peace rather than experiencing the peace that Jesus promises, that's not the right kind of peace either. Some of you may have conflict within your families for the very fact that you're in church today. I don't think you should be in church. You should be out doing something else. What does it look like to be at peace with others? You know, I found, uh, I was looking up, trying to, to figure out what was the prevalence, the number of posts on Facebook. 
that are positive versus argumentative. And on my feet on any given day, it can swing wildly, right? There are some days I just shut it off because I'm like, everybody's arguing today. You know, it feels like every post is an argument. Talk about Jesus, there's going to be an argument. Talk about some social justice issue, there's going to be an argument. You know, post a picture of a cat, there's going to be an argument from somebody who only likes dogs, right? There's going to be an argument. But what I did find, I couldn't find that. They're not doing those numbers. I'm sure that's not good for Facebook health in order to publish that. But what I did find was a study that UC Berkeley and the University of Chicago did. You know, University of Chicago, known for their peacemaking, (laughs) did this. Most peaceful city on earth. And what they found is that no one wins an argument on Facebook. I don't know how much money they put into that. (laughs) I don't know how much time they put in or how many researches it took to come to that conclusion. People don't win arguments on Facebook. But they did find something very interesting. (laughs) What they did find was that when someone reads your opinion, they are more quickly ready to dismiss you as a fanatic and as ignorant. Whereas, if you are in a face-to-face conversation expressing the exact same opinion, they are open to dialogue. They do not assume that you're ignorant or that you have a terrible point of view. I find that interesting. I don't find that hard to believe because whenever there's conflict over communication, almost always it's by text or email, rarely by phone. Because there's so many things you can't read whenever you're just reading text. You can't read intention. You can't tell, are they being serious? Are they being sarcastic? You can't tell if they're being genuine, if they are struggling, or if they are just throwing something in your face. You can't tell. And whatever your preconceived idea of this person is, you're going to jump to that understanding. But when we're face-to-face, relationship happens. We see a person more deeply and conversation happens. I find that so interesting that peacemaking is more possible face-to-face than from a distance. Spending time with each other, being around each other. When we look at our nation, we talk about peacemaking. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but we have to talk about, one, we have to talk about something. And that is the reality that you and I live in a nation that spends more on war than the next eight countries combined on military and defense. Now, let me just say this. I am by no means a military expert. I am by no means a person who has studied and can tell you all the intricacies of defense. I do not want somebody invading our nation. But it is interesting that we spend more on conflict as a nation... (laughs) than the next eight countries combined. Now, some of you grew up in the time since 9-11, and 9-11 was formative for us. I remember where I was. If you were alive when that happened, you remember where you were when that happened, just as if you were alive when JFK was assassinated or Pearl Harbor was bombed. You remember those things, and they instill with us a feeling. And I remember I, I was angry that day. And I remember when our president, George Bush, stood up and said, we are going to take care of this. And I remember a collective national, yes, take care of this. I'm not a peace, love, and dove kind of person. (laughs) The reality is if you walk into my home and you threaten my family, one of the two of us is not walking back out, right? But when I look at these numbers, I have to ask myself, are we, as a nation proposed to be followers of Jesus, peacemakers? Now, some of you would say, well, yes, we are making peace by our strength, and I will not argue with you. But as we look back at other numbers, there's a statistic that comes up in my mind regularly, and I think about this often. It's not new. United Nations came out with it, so depending on your opinion of the United Nations, you'll question the veracity of this number. But they did a study on what it would take to eliminate world hunger. <laughs> they came up with the number $30 billion a year. I think that number is pretty low. 
Because it doesn't take into account all the systemic issues that have to be addressed before you truly deal with world hunger. But let's say they're close. Do you realize in 2017, our nation spent $1.7 trillion for our military and defense? If their number is somewhat correct, $30 billion a year, we, that one year of defense spending could end world hunger for 56 years. Now, I'm not going to say we shouldn't spend that money. It's not my place. I don't know. I'm just telling you, when we look at what's going on in the world, when we are called to be at peace with others, we often live in a culture that does not value peace. So what do we do with this? Where am I going with this? Matthew 5, 9 is a verse that I struggle with. And it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, it raises some natural questions. And one is, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? And also, what does it look like to be a son of God? Because some of you are already pushing back in your minds, because I have pushed back in my own mind that says, you know what? I don't want to have to roll over in order to ignore conflict. And I would say that never works out well. Rolling over to avoid conflict is never the answer for conflict. That is an invitation for more conflict. Because those that you are in conflict with will keep it coming because they know you'll just roll over. Now that does somewhat mimic something that Jesus said. Right? If someone strikes you on your cheek, then do what? I hate that verse. I hate that verse. I'm not lying. I hate that verse. I remember when I was a kid in school, there was a, there was a kid that lived on my street, was in my class, and he made it his personal mission to make my life miserable. Anybody have one of those people in your lives? And I didn't know what to do. I grew up in the church, and I, you know, we were not a, a, uh, a violent family. But I didn't know what to do. I, I was struggling, and I remember there was a moment of freedom that my mom came down, and she just said, you know what? If he keeps picking at you, and it was, he was getting physical, it was not fun. She said, you know what? You don't have to take it. Now, that created freedom in me because I felt like I wasn't trapped. But at the same time, it did not, I did not feel like I should go out and do that. It did change my perspective on keeping peace with somebody else, and it was not that I just roll over. But when Jesus says, be a peacemaker... What does he mean by that? So I've wrestled with this for a good portion of my life. What does it mean to be at peace with other people? When we started our church, I remember I got a call from the, a denominational leader who said, I've gotten calls from all kinds of pastors who are not happy that you're starting a church. I was like, what? Isn't that the Great Commission? And literally, people who had been my friends for years wouldn't have anything to do with me anymore. I was like, oh, Okay. Well, that doesn't feel good. What does it look like to be at peace with others? So as we go through Scripture, again, we find in Galatians 5, peace is a fruit of the Spirit. Let's jump ahead, Jake, to Matthew 5. Nope, you were right. Let's go back to Romans 8. This is one of those I'm going to give you a ton of Scripture because I want you to struggle with this too. Romans 8, 14 says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. I'm going to come back to this. Because Matthew 5, 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called, what? So Romans 8, 14 says, for all who are what? Are sons of God. Okay. So we are sons of God when we are peacemakers. We are sons of God when we are led by the Spirit. If we go to Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. So if you and I are going to be sons of God, somehow we have got to be led by God, led by the Holy Spirit. And if we are led by the Holy Spirit, some things will fundamentally change within us. Instead of being aggressive, we will be gentle. Instead of being hateful, we will be kind. Instead of being self-serving, we will be good and giving. 
Instead of seeking conflict and being at odds with people, we will have peace. So when we begin to understand this, the understanding is not by the force of your will, be at peace with all people. Instead, as you are led by God and through the Holy Spirit, you will exhibit these things. It changes our perspective. So when I'm at odds with other people, my mind must change to say not how do I want to respond because my response is generally whatever you come at me with, I'll come at you with. And sometimes I still do that and it is never works well and the spirit within me always condemns me in that moment in which I go, oh, that was a wrong response. But that's my natural response without the Holy Spirit. And instead, I must look at the world and say, God, how do you want me to respond? This becomes crucial when we talk about peacemaking because we don't struggle with peace with people we like. We struggle with peace with people we don't like. So we can sit here and in in a couple of minutes, we can wrap up a sermon and say, you know what? Those people that are good to you, those people that love you, those people that care for you, those people that take care of you, be at peace with them. Okay, done. Done. That's not the problem, is it? It's those that we're not at peace with. It's those that we are not whole with. It's those that we do not like, that they are working against us. They are trying to hurt us. And Scripture, especially in the New Testament, talks a lot about that. We start rearranging the way we see Matthew 5, 9 occurs in one of Jesus' most popular sermons, or most well-known at least. Maybe not popular, because it's one of those that just makes your mind kind of do an about-face. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And let's just go through these real quick. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, the disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, these are the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. None of us started out in the world thinking being poor was a good thing. Some of you know that by personal experience. But blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. We have learned kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God are interchangeable. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Whereas the comfort that you receive by knowing Christ means more to you than the mourning you have to go through within life. And we do go through mourning in life. We do go through hardship. But most of us would avoid mourning in any way that we can. But what Jesus says is, change your perspective. Blessed are those who mourn because they'll be comforted. God will work within you in in an incredible way. And that is a blessing. Blessed are the meek. We've got some meek people in this room. And I look at you and I just think, man, that is the character of Christ. But again, for most of us, it's not intuitive. This is not the way we naturally live. It's not the way we naturally act. We are not meek. We are aggressive. But he says, blessed are the meek. Change the way you view yourself in the world, for they shall inherit the earth. Verse 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied, which is not really an encouragement to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Either you are or you're not. But when you are, you will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. That seems pretty relevant for peacemaking. For they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. All of this he continues to say, there is a way of the world, there is the way of Christ. And when you follow the way of Christ, it will look so foreign to the way of the world, but that is where blessing and rejoicing is. But I don't know about you, I like to stay in the realm of what is intuitive. What is natural, what is instinctive, doesn't require any effort on my part. I just like to be me. It's one of the challenges we've had here when we use the catchphrase, come as you are. People are like, yeah, I want to come as I am. You know, the, the unspoken was, but don't stay that way. Anybody can come as you are. What's the point of staying the way you are? I mean, 
And so that's why we don't always use that phrase as much. I'm coming as I am. Okay, but you're welcome. We'll love you. But if you intend to stay that way, you have no intention of Christ doing anything in you. I like to stay in the instinctive. It requires no work on my part. It, requires, it does not require me to change. It does not require me to be different. It does not require me to submit to anything else. It requires me only to submit to my deeper and inner, uttermost ways of living life. Not informed at all by Christ. He goes on in this, in verse 13, he goes on in this sermon to say, you are the salt of the earth. So he's changing the dynamic, not just that this teaching is just about you and the way you should live your life, but he's saying the way you live your life in these ways, not only will you be blessed, but you will actually lead other people to know you and follow you. You're the salt of the earth. If the salt's lost its taste, how shall saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are meant by living life in a different way to point people to Christ. And in the time that you do that, you receive blessing that you cannot define. He ends the Sermon on the Mount, his last words on the Sermon on the Mount are words that you are familiar with. And this is what he says. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. That is the picture of being at peace with God and not having to have a lack of conflict within your life. The winds still come, the storms still come, the trouble still comes, the arguments still come, the people who want to do you in still come. But when you are built on the teachings of God, you will not fall. This is why the gospel that I grew up in was in many ways, a false gospel. Because the gospel I grew up in said, if you will love and follow Jesus, everything will work out towards your benefit. And we taught that like crazy because people bought it like crazy. Because people know what it's like to suffer. And over time, as I continued to grow, and I realized, still struggling, you're still suffering, People I love, people I know are following Jesus. They're hurting. How do I reconcile this? What he's saying is not that he's going to remove those things. Nor is he saying that if you're going to be a peacemaker, you're going to remove conflict from your life. But he's saying if you will follow his way, it will not have an effect on you like it does the rest of the world. You will stand He goes on, verse 26, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. When we choose to live another way, it does not work out well. Romans 12 if there's one thing you hear today and you leave with, I, I, I would pray you would take Romans 12, 18 through 21. I pray you would take this, you would talk about it as a family, you would struggle within your spirit to understand what this means and to live it out. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'm going to ask some of you, the conflict when you go back to work tomorrow with people you can't stand, and right, maybe rightfully so, no judgment on who's right or wrong, but maybe rightfully so. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. What does that look like for our lives? What does it look like on Facebook? 
What does it look like with our brothers and sisters who may worship differently? What about our brothers and sisters who look different from us? Talk different from us? Maybe people from different socioeconomic statuses. And I say it that way because sometimes when you're doing well, you look at the poor and you go, oh man, it's their own fault. And sometimes when you're struggling, you look at those that have much and you say, wow, you are super selfish for not sharing with others. No matter where you are, maybe you look at someone else differently rather than judgmentally and looking at them as calling all of their sin. Look at them and say, how can I be at peace with you? Verse 19, never avenge yourselves. Even my statement to say, if you come into my house and want to hurt my family, one of us isn't leaving, that does not fulfill the scripture even though instinctively that's how I feel. Do not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. Do you feel my anxiety? Do you share my anxiety over this? I hope you do. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like to be transformed. This is what it looks like to struggle, to grow within our faith. This is what it looks like to work out our salvation. We go, this is not the way I want to naturally respond, but yet this is what he is calling me to. We have to ask ourselves, why is he calling us to that? See, this is one of the reasons they hated Jesus, because they wanted Jesus to come in and destroy all their enemies. We've talked about this time and time again. They wanted him to come in, a conquering king, and destroy the Romans and destroy anybody else that would ever try to harm them again. That's what their their hope for the Messiah was. That's why they chose to crucify Jesus rather than Barabbas, because Barabbas was a known revolutionary. He would go out and fight the Romans. He had gone out and fought the Romans. That's what they wanted. When Jesus comes in and says, says, be at peace, even when they want to do you harm. We look at that and we go, you're crazy. No way. And those are some of the reasons that people walked away from Jesus. And those are some of the things that I struggle with most as I try to live out faithfully what I read in his word. Because sometimes the way that I most want to respond is not the way that honors him. I was wondering as I was working through this, why doesn't God want us to force what we perceive as right on others? Because isn't that really how we sometimes respond? I know what's right. Let's force other people to live in what we know is right. Let's force the gospel on people. Let's force people to share everything they have with each other. Let's force people to make the right choice. And if they don't make the right choice, we will take their ability to choose away from them so that they do make the right choice. Why doesn't God want us to act like that? We don't have to look far in the world to see people who have embraced that mindset. And I would say, for one, you sure better be right. But for two, God was never into forcing us into righteousness. And we are people to be sons of God that have to follow the leading of God. So what is the bigger picture that God is working on? If, if these are not necessarily the places that God wants us to be, what are the bigger picture? Colossians 1.19 says this, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, talking about Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of of his cross. God's desire through Christ was to bring peace into the world. Not peace by his teaching, but peace by his blood. The kind of peace that Jesus is offering is the kind that could only be bought by his blood on a cross. His bigger picture is not whether one is right or one is wrong, whether one is suffering or one is at peace. But there is a bigger picture here that God is trying to bring all people to peace with him. If we are going to be sons of God, we have to enter into the same work that he is most invested in. And you can't be any more invested than allowing your son to be crucified on a cross. So he's inviting us into his work. 
Colossians 3.12 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, weakness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And the peace of Christ will rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing you, uh, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, You should forgive. Put on love, which binds everything together. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. All of this points to the reality that God wants to do something bigger than to remove all conflict within the world. And as we go back to what we talked about our first week, mostly what God wants to do is bring us to a place of peace with Him. Because we can endure everything else if we are at peace with God. That is the beginning of contentment. That is the beginning of being at peace. Some of us, we are doing everything we can. We are shopping like mad. And we love this time of year. And it brings us peace for a moment. And then it's gone. The kind of peace he's promising us when we begin to see the world differently, when we begin to interact with the world differently, is something that is ongoing. It is the peace of Christ that rules in our hearts. We go back and look at blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be sons of God. As sons of God, we act in the name of God and we represent Him in this world. God is in the process of trying to bring peace into this world. And if we are going to act in His name and we are going to be His children, we should be seeking to bring peace into this world too. In other words... We strive to live at peace with others because that's what God does. We strive to be at peace with others because that's what God does. You think, well, ah, but what if they're really a jerk? There's a bigger picture than making sure he or she knows they are a jerk. (laughs) There's a bigger picture than us being a bigger jerk than them. This is why I love the memes that come out that, you know, there was a time we got so upset with Starbucks because they took Christmas off their cups. I can't point. Maybe there are. And if there are, then I will correct myself. I don't know that there's anyone who said, you know what really made me fall in love with Jesus? When the Christians stood up against the cups of Starbucks. That is what led me to love Jesus. We just sometimes invite conflict that we need not have. I mean, what's more likely? That they're going to love Jesus because we're upset with the cups? Uh, It's not really an issue anymore. I think we've grown past that as a church, as the initial shock that they weren't the herald of the good news of Jesus Christ, like we thought they were. I think we've gotten over that. But there will be another one. I remember when I was a kid, and it was Disney. And now it's Disney again, I think. You know, it'll be somebody else. And we wanted them to know we were angry with them. And it was amazing. We fought and boycotted for years. And they like sold more tickets than ever. And then we were like, man, they've got some good movies coming out. Maybe we should stop boycotting. I kind of miss going to Disney World. Maybe we shouldn't boycott because then we can go back to Disney World. It's a fun place. And it just doesn't help when we're out trying to be angry with people, trying to force them into our way of understanding the world because that is not the way Jesus did it for us. It was always an invitation. I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in and be with you. He never said, I'm standing here and I'm about to take your door down. I'm going to huff and, pluff, huff and puff and I'm going to blow that door down. That's not Jesus. He says, I'm just quietly out here saying, hey, I'm here. I love you. I want to be with you. I, I want you to know me. And you can choose to open it or not. That's the invitation Jesus gave to us 
we should have that same mindset as in our, in our, in our invitation to others. And you think, Mark, but that just seems so naive. And I will tell you, I struggle with that because there's a strategic part of me that says, you know how you get change to happen? But that's not the way Jesus does it. And there are times that I just want to act in a way and I see injustice and I want to act and I want to let them know what I'm thinking. And Jesus says, but that is not my way. And I'll either say, you know what? I don't care. I got this. It never works out well, by the way. (laughs) That never works out well. I feel good for a moment. That moment I submit and I say, God, I will follow your way, even if it makes me look weak in the minds of others. This paints a picture that one, God is seeking to bring reconciliation or peace to others through Christ. It paints a picture that two, we continue God's work when we seek to live at peace with others. And three, we are sons of God when we strive to be at peace with others. Can I just ask you, similar to what I mentioned, I think, last week or the week before, don't you just love to be around people who love you? Like, you don't have to think about it. I have an opportunity to be around those people that really love me. I just enjoy being around them. You don't have to think about that. I mean, it just feels good. We, we love to do that. And whenever Jesus says, listen, here's my command to you is love everybody. Then you expand your circle and all of a sudden you enjoy people more than you once did because you love them. And there comes a time when you begin to understand I can love others even when they don't love me back. I can just choose to do that. And this is part of the Sermon on the Mount where he says, you'll be blessed when you act in the way that I act because you can love someone, they not return it, and you still be blessed by God and feel whole and full because God is at work within your heart. I have done as Jesus has done for me. I feel whole. And that is its own blessing. In the same way, don't you feel great when you're around people that you're already at peace with? Don't you love to be around people who agree with you on everything? For some of you, that circle is super, super small, right? Yeah, and me. It's me. I love my time with me. We get along. We agree on everything. I mean, me and me, we're good. I just wish I could find somebody as good as me to hang out with more often. Sometimes it's a small group. I've got my three friends. And I, I was in, uh, I don't remember where I was. I was somewhere this week listening to a conversation. And I try not to do that. I know that's rude. But I can't help it. I listen to conversations. And these two guys, they went through every bullet point that I could see on headline news. You know, they went through everyone and they agreed on every single thing. Yeah, man. You know what else? And another thing. I was like, well, why are y'all even talking? You agree on everything. What's the point? You're already there. Why don't you just look at each other and go, Yep. That's right. What would happen if you expand the circle and you choose to be at peace with other people? You have the opportunity to respond in anger. You choose peace. You have the opportunity to push back and you choose peace. You have the opportunity to hurt them the way they've hurt you and you choose peace. And if you do that, then you have a picture of a savior marching up a road with a cross on his back that any moment could have said enough of this. And yet he carried that cross and died on it for us. See, being at peace with others, man, it's a beautiful gift. Being at peace with those that are not at peace with you, oh, don't we seek that? I don't have all the answers for all the situations in which we could struggle with this. As I said, even talking about our defense budget and things like that, I'm not qualified to talk about that. I don't know all the ins and outs. I always find it interesting that whenever we have an election, whoever the, the incoming person is who's not been in office has all these big promises, but then within the first year, it's like they're talking exactly like the last president. I always assume, you know, pretty much what happens is they get in, get the full story, and then change their mind is probably what happens. I don't know. I don't have insider knowledge. No one has invited me to the White House to talk about defense needs. And after this sermon, never will. But... <laughs> 
You know, I, I don't know all the ins and outs. I struggle with these things as you struggle with these things. But as I read this scripture and I say, yes, I want to be of the mind of Jesus and I want to live this out. I, I cannot ignore the fact that he says, be a peacemaker in the world. When you see conflict, seek to interject peace. We all have to struggle through how does that look. And I, I think that's one of the reasons that when we talk about the fruit of the spirit, peace is a fruit of the spirit. And if you think, yeah, but I can think of some severe examples. Yeah, how about those people who want to kill you? Is that a severe example? What does Scripture say about that? Well, Matthew 5 again. You've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Got it. Done. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers or those you agree with, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect. Which, what does perfect mean? Without error? Does it mean without error? Some of you already zoned out on me. I've already gave you, I gave you the answer. What does perfect mean? Whole. What else? Full. Complete. It must be perfect. Whole. Complete. Full. As your heavenly Father is. Perfect. Whole. Complete. Full. See, he's inviting us into this life of doing things differently. He's inviting us to a place where we have the opportunity to take the world and flip it on its head and say, there is a better way. This is what it looks like to live within the kingdom of God. Are there clear answers for every situation? Yes and no. (laughs) Yes, be a peacemaker. No, it's not easy. In every circumstance to do that. Leads us to a question of, well, does that make, does being a peacemaker make life easier or harder? Doesn't it? Sounds kind of harder. And I don't know about you, I tend to try to live my life in the opposite direction. I want it to be easier, not harder. And if we look at all of these scriptures from the perspective of, well, I don't like it, I don't agree with it, but I don't want to miss out on heaven, so I'll do my best to live it, then it looks a lot harder. And I'll tell you, that's a, that's a hard way to live life. You'll eventually give up. You'll give up on following Christ if that's the way you choose to live it. I will force myself to do this, but I don't like it. I'll tell you, we're, we deal with that when we're children. We deal with that when we're adults. Proverbs 12.20 says, Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. See, there is a place that when we begin to, we choose this life, we choose to live in this way, that it brings joy within our lives. For some of you, you grew up in circumstances that I've not even come close to touching on. The conflict, the, the, the disease, the, the struggle between people was severe. Some of you grew up in families and it wasn't even safe to be in your own home. And so your, your concept in all of this, it, it's, it's hard to embrace what I'm saying and I know it. For some of you, you grew up in a system that said, you know what, you don't take anything from anybody. That's what a real man does. And yet I will tell you that if we are going to follow Christ, he's telling us there is a better way. And at the end of that way, there is a joy that we can't comprehend. As we go through this, I just want to leave you with this, and I want to end with what I began with. Uh, This is one of those wonderful sermons at Christmas time, because, you know, we like feel-good sermons at Christmas time. Wonderful sermons where I take my anxiety and struggle and I heap it on you. You're welcome. Aren't you glad you came today? 
I struggle with this too. But I will tell you, I am on the search for this kind of joy. And I have found that being a peacemaker brings that joy. And engaging the conflict rarely does. You've got to struggle with what's going on at work. I don't know what's going on at work. Somebody may really have it in for you. And you feel like you've got to defend yourself. It may be that way in your neighborhood with your neighbors. It could be within your own family. Some of you are going to go sit down and have Christmas meal. And you're going to hold on to your knife and your fork a little tighter than you should. Right? (laughs) And your family members have already seated you in an opposite side of the table from where you ought to be. Right? And you're going to struggle with, okay, I need to be a peacemaker here. And, and I'm going to tell you, if you call me and say, okay, Mark, this is my situation. How do I be a peacemaker? I'm probably going to say, I don't know. This is where the Holy Spirit has to speak to us. We have to have a dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit speaking with us. But this is what I would leave with you as you struggle through this issue on your own and recognize that those of you who are seeking peace and to be a peacemaker who have been told your entire life, that's a bad thing. It's a God thing. Followers of Jesus seek to bring God's peace into the world. And we do it not because we're afraid of conflict. Jesus was not afraid of conflict. We do it because we're emulating our Father who says, I have come and my desire is to bring peace to the world and to reconcile all people to myself. We are His followers and we commit to the same that He is committed to. All right, I really wish we, what, what we ought to do on some of these sermons is like y'all stick around for a while and let's just have, you know, talk back. <laughs> Tell our kids, don't talk back. Sometimes we've got to talk back, right? So anybody wants to continue this conversation, I would be very open to it. And together we can struggle to experience what it really looks like to be at peace with others because that's what God's calling us to. And even when it's hard, there's a beautiful blessing when we pursue it. Just pray with me, Father. God, the issues we're talking about are complex and they're hard to sum up in a short sermon. But God, I know that you are calling us to this. You have said it over and over and over in your word. And it is a struggle for us in a world that says fight back rather than seek peace. I pray for those in this room that are not at peace. There's somebody that's been coming up in their mind over and over and over again as they've been sitting here today. And God, I pray that you would speak to them and through your spirit, show them what it looks like to experience peace and then to share it with others. God, I thank you that your love for us was so complete that you were willing to allow your son to carry that cross so that we can be reconciled with you. I pray we would be so caught up in in the beauty of that gift that we spend our lives seeking to share it with others. Father, in all that we do, we seek to honor you. The flesh, our flesh is weak. Read your word and at times it feels impossible. But you said that that is what your spirit is here for, to be our helper. I pray that you would help us. Pray for those that have very intimate relationships that they are at odds with people that they love, that are in their family, people that they have cared about for their whole lives, and now they find themselves in conflict. Lord, I pray that you would, through them, begin to weave in strands of peace. Father, we love you, and we are thankful that we can be at peace with you. Teach us how to be at peace with others, so that we ourselves would be called sons of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.